nothing is worse than that you know spend that six months carving your uh, river rut then it floats upside down and instead of digging into the water it flies above the surface or something like that so anyway i i, I made these river ruts and bassarinos and hawaiian wigglers and stuff and i i very carefully paint them and i i really really used to used to dig making these things but the one problem with them and i suppose there were a lot of reasons for this i never once caught anything on one <laughs> You know, I used to make these things really proud of them. And I'd, I'd go down to the dime store and I'd buy this uh, waterproof enamel. You can buy waterproof enamel. I used to paint them red and white. I used to paint some orange. Well, one time I made this this uh, this plug. I, you know, I'm, I'm ad-libbing now. I'm making my own my own design. As soon as you start building anything, everybody gets the itch to make his own design. So I started to make my own design. Well, I made a, a, a big plug, big one. And it was about four inch, maybe four and a half inches long. Big, big, heavy plugs. I figure I'm going after big fish, you know. And uh, I can remember the color of this thing very distinctly. It, it started out, I was going to make a, a, a vaguely, uh, I was trying to get a, a sort of a peach-colored plug because there were certain fish that were kind of peach-colored. I was going to put a green shading on the top of it. It was going to be almost colored like a, like a, uh, my idea like a sunfish. It was going to be sort of a peach gold color with a little green on the top. Yeah, I was really going to make it realistic. Well, uh, <laughs> if you've ever tried any color mixing, especially with cheap uh, dime store paints, it doesn't come out like that. And it came out a, a kind of revolting flesh pink. I mean, it's an obscene looking plug. I mean, really obscene. Look at flesh. Terrible. <laughs> and I tried to paint eyes on it, and the eyes came out looking like warts. And uh, anyway, I had this flesh-colored, rotten-looking plug, and it was kind of heavy because I figured if I painted over it a couple of times, I would get different color. But no, it just got fatter and lumpier. And uh, so anyway, I, I put this in my tackle box, and that's it. It stayed in the tackle box. And every summer, uh, my old man used to get his vacation. He always take his vacation in August. And the only time we really went fishing where you could use any kind of plugs was when we went on our vacation. We'd go to Michigan, and it was reputed that the lake that we went to had bass in it, just reputed. Uh, they, yes, yeah, so once in a while there would be a rumor that last week they had caught a bass, and uh, the old man would get all excited. And it would start raining the first day we got there, and it would rain like for two solid weeks. And uh, every day he would say, now you've got to get up early in the morning. You've got to get up at the crack of dawn to catch bass. Uh, this is, a, you know, one of the things that fishermen all believe. It's quite true, I suppose, but uh, uh, he never quite made it. It was vacation. He got this alarm clock. He'd set it and would go off at 4.45, and there'd be a faint rain coming down. You'd look out at the lake, and the, the mosquitoes are moving in, and the, he just never got up. That's all, that, frankly. Well, this is about the last or the second to the last day. One particular two weeks we've been out. They've been raining steadily. Have you ever had a vacation where just absolutely nothing worked? I mean, just a, a real dud. Everybody pretends they're having a groovy time. It's fantastic. And nothing's happening. It's raining in the mud. And, the, and oh, the mosquitoes were bad. And it was just a kind of a bad vacation. We had a couple of flats on the car. And, and you know, the whole thing. And so it was about the second to the last day. I, kids never give up, though. You know, they, they, they hang in there, see. So about the second to the last day, I'm, I'm out with my kid brother. And then we're way out at the other end of the lake. There are a lot of lily pads and reeds and stuff. And weeds, fantastic weed beds in this place. Now, you'd think there'd be a lot of fish in a lake like this. 
Well, they said there were, but uh, never. You know, we just no way do we ever catch any. Any, you know, once in a while I get some bluegills and sunfish, but the the bass were purely theoretical. And so it is. It is now about twilight, and I have to get back because uh, we had an absolute rule that uh, you you don't stay out on the lake in the dark. That's it. No, no, no way. And uh, so it's getting, uh, you know, just getting the lights getting getting fading down, and it's getting dark. And uh, I'm sitting out there with my, with believe it or not, I had a Montgomery Ward three-piece steel bait casting rod. It was a steel one, and that came, you know, it's fitted together, weighed about 40, 50 pounds. You know, <laughs> really bad rod, and I had this cork handle on it that the, it was real slippery, and I had this 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 uh, reel. Uh, which I had earned by selling Collier's Magazine. Now, do you remember Collier's Magazine? One of the great achievements of my uh, early life was uh, one time a guy showed up in the neighborhood. He just drove up in the car and uh, stopped right in the middle of our ball game. And uh, he looked out of the window and hollered, Hey, any of you kids want a job? Of course, 50 kids rushed over there instantly. And uh, he says, uh, Yep. He says, uh, All you got to do is uh, sell this very popular magazine uh, that... Uh, that everybody buys, and I'll even give you the bag. And so I had one of these big flat white bags on the side of it. It said Collier's. It said Collier's, and the other magazine that I was selling unsuccessfully was it said Collier's on one side, and on the other side it said Saturday Evening Post. And <laughs> this guy sold both magazines, which were incidentally competing magazines, but it didn't matter out there. Nobody bought any magazines anyway, so, you know, it's just theoretical. So we, we were in, in business, and I had this big white bag. Now, they didn't pay you money. They gave you, along with your pile of magazines, they gave you a catalog of the stuff you could get if you sold enough magazines. Now, you could get stuff like uh, box cameras, great stuff. If you sold, like, oh, maybe two or three million magazines, uh, maybe made uh, 200,000 new subscribers, you got a pony. Uh, They had the pony there. You could get an air rifle. You could get, you know, a lot of good stuff like that. You could get a sled and no, all various stuff that you really needed. But the one thing that I really wanted, they had a page of fishing gear that you could get. And on the top of it was a South Bend reel. Have you ever heard of South Bend bait? It was a South Bend level wind reel. And it, uh, it, had, uh, it had pearl handles. You know, these little, the little handles on the, uh, on the crank were pearl. And it was a, a legitimate South Bend reel. And I had to sell a lot of magazines. I mean, a lot of magazines. And so I started to sell magazines one summer. I, I, I sold magazines all summer, and it wasn't easy. Uh, boy, I'd go from house to house, knock on the door, and uh, you know, I'd say, you want a magazine? And the, most of the time, they just slam the door. Uh, you, you really learn about people when you try house-to-house sales, <laughs> selling. In fact, you know, it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not coincidental that one of the great... Uh, uh, hard-bitten American politicians of the 20th century began his career as a politician, as a door-to-door salesman. Who is that? He's no longer on the scene, but it's a great story. And it's true. He started his career as a door-to-door salesman. And uh, he sold a, you know, he just sold a, a nothing product. Uh, just, but the, he started out, and, and he, he very quickly he realized that if you had this, if you, if you could turn on the charisma, really turn it on, you could sell people anything. <laughs> and so 
he went around his whole district and he sold all these people his stuff and then and uh, they liked him so much that you know, he was a real you know a real artist at the game and uh, fantastic charisma he just poured out of him and so he began to go around again he went around about three times and one day somebody says say why don't you run for political office you know everybody everybody in the in the precinct here knows you and he did who was that he went believe me no i'll tell you in a few short years, this guy, it's a fantastic story, he went from, from, a, from a door-to-door salesman, a guy really on his uppers, he went from a door-to-door salesman to become governor of his state in less than three years. And shortly thereafter, he became a national figure and became a highly controversial senator, all in the space of about, uh, uh, oh, probably... Uh, Five years from the time he, he went around and was selling the stuff door to door. Who was this? Huh? That's correct. Very good, Nick. You really know, you know? Yeah, that's a fantastic story. That was the late Huey Long. <laughs> and you know, if you've ever done any door to door selling, you really you really come away either either uh, tremendously successful or totally a failure. There is no in between in door to door selling. It's a, it's just no way, no no in between. And so I got this really depressed feeling. I wanted this real. And I would go up to the, to the door, you know, I'd knock on the door. And you knew people were in there. That was the one that would really bug you was the people who never would answer the door. You know, they, they just wouldn't answer the door. You'd hear people talking in there. You'd knock on the door. No way. Uh, you know, you'd hear them hiding under the kitchen table. You'd see, you'd peek in, you'd see them hiding behind the curtains, you know. Well, uh, slowly but surely, I began to accrue slowly but surely, I began to accrue points selling Colliers and the Saturday Evening Post. Now, they used to give you two points for every magazine you sold. Now, if you sold a, a subscription, now that was a big deal. You sell a subscription, you got 25 points. Now, you needed hundreds of points to get a reel. I mean, you needed a lot of points. And so, all summer... I, I continued to sell this, this, uh, went on my route, you know, I would go out every, every Saturday. It was always on the weekend. I'd go out Saturday, I'd go out Friday night, and uh, once in a while I'd go out in the middle of the week. The magazines came out on Wednesday, and uh, you'd go out and you'd start selling. Well, if you didn't sell your magazines by Saturday, forget it. Because anybody you'd ever meet then saw it on the newsstand or they got it from their Aunt Emily. You know, <laughs> in other words, your magazine was only current for a couple of days, so you better sell it right away. So I'm really working, and I used to get this, 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 I'd come home, and my feet had hurt. It's very rare that a kid's feet hurt, <laughs> but my feet would hurt, believe me. And I would go up to the house, and I'd, I'd knock on the door. And uh, at that time, there was a popular radio comic, and uh, see if you know who he was. It was a radio comic that used to open up his show, would open up with this, he would knock on the door, and he would say, there's nobody home, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. He would go, there's nobody home, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Who was that? He was a totally unsuccessful door-to-door salesman. And that was his whole bit in this uh, comedy show. And uh, I used to hear this show once in a while, see? And I, oh, man, did I fear for this guy. And I would come up and I'd knock on the door, and I'd wait. And you get a lot of little techniques, you know. If you knock very hard on a door, people will answer. Did you know that? Much more than if you knock, if you if you knock timidly. And at first, 
as I started to go around in my room, I was very timid, you know. I'd knock a little bit like that. And, of course, you're already radiating failure if you're not. And it's a little knock. So uh, one day, after after going out for about three straight days and, and making only one or two scores, there was this, this one kid said to me, listen, he says, uh, he says, you got to knock hard. Really knock on the door. They'll come, you know. They think the house is on fire or something. See, they'll come running out. So uh, sure enough, I go like that. Really, it looks like something really fantastic is happening. Somebody stole your car. You know? Really, somebody opened the door. And uh, you catch them real fast. You say, here, I've got your colliers. Your colliers has just come. <laughs> you don't say, you never start out with a negative phrase like, uh, you don't want a magazine, do you, this week, huh? You don't, you don't really want this magazine, do you? What you say is, your Conyers has just arrived, sir. Uh, that'll be ten cents. And, of course, uh, it, my sales picked up. Well, throughout the entire summer, I began to accrue points. Now, they gave you a little book, almost like a, uh, you know, like green stamps. And when you would get the points, every week the guy would come. He would collect the money from you. And, uh, of course, if you had, like, say if you got 25 magazines and you gave them back uh, five you got, obviously, you got points for 20 magazines, right? You had to give them the money, too, of course. And you got the points for 20 magazines, which meant that you would get uh, two points per magazine. You'd get, uh, for 20 magazines, you'd get 40 points. Once in a great while, fantastic thing, you would come up and you'd knock on the door and you'd say, uh, your, your car years has come. And the lady would say, oh, I was waiting for somebody. I, wanted, I would like to subscribe to the magazine, please. Oh, you'd flip. Fantastic. You whip out your, your uh, subscription blank, you know, you fill the whole thing out. And uh, then, of course, that was, a, that was a goodie. That was a 25-pointer. You could cool it for the rest of the week. You know, you're already ahead of your quota. Well, every week I'm getting more get, little punches in my book, which tells you how many points you get, see. Well, at the end of the summer, I've got, I've got maybe like uh, 300 points. Well, how many did I need? I need something like 10,000 points to get this, this uh, real so all through the winter, I'm struggling, trying to sell magazines. They, they don't buy as many magazines, by the way, people, in the wintertime for some reason or other. It's in the summer. I don't know. Maybe people go kind of ape in the summertime. You know, they think, what the hell? You know, you can't take it with you. And uh, they buy stuff. So, so as winter was always kind of slow. Well, the beginning of the second summer, I am slowly beginning to approach my goal. And now it is like July, and I need maybe a 100 points or 120 points to get the real and my old man he's watching this see every night i'd come home i'd get my little book and i'm figuring out how many points i got and now we were about to go on a vacation see and, and i wanted the real from vacation and finally i got down to about 120 points and uh, i will always uh, i always admire my old man for this i mean if he never did anything else this is this one thing he did it's about three days before the vacation and he said to say he said uh, how many points do you need He's sitting at the kitchen table there, and I said, uh, oh, gee, 120, I, you know, I only got three days. I can't sell all those magazines. I've got to sell 60 magazines, get 120. And he says, well, how many magazines you got now? I said, well, I got 50 magazines I got this week. He said, okay. He says, I'll buy all the magazines. He said, why don't you call the magazine guy up and get 10 more magazines, and I'll buy them. So the old man bought all <laughs> 60 magazines. And I got the points, see, 120 points. Of course, I rushed down to the guy, and I said, I got, 100, you know, I got all these points, 10,000 points, and uh, I want my reel. And he says, oh, you, you, 
You want what? And I said, because oh, all the other kids, you know, they'd get, a, they'd get a sled, they'd get a BB gun. I wanted a real. He says, a real? I said, yeah, it's in the back of the book. He said, let me see that book. And he looks in the book and he says, sure enough, my God, there is a real there. He said, will you come this afternoon? He says, I'll try to get it for you. Apparently, the, the main office of the magazine guy was in Chicago. And so that afternoon, man, I could hardly wait. You know, I get my bike and I go, I go reeling down to the place where the guy was. And uh, he had this candy store and the whole place. He had the, he had the paper concession and everything. And I, I get out in front of the guy's house, this place, which was part of his house, by the way. He had it all fixed up. So I go up the steps and I go into the place. And he's got the papers piled up in the magazines. And I said, George, did you get my reel? Oh, yeah, 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 He's, yeah, they, they send it out with the load, see? So he, he reaches under, and there, in a green box, with the painted fake seaweed on it, it said, South Bend Level Wine Bait Casting Reel Number 803A with Pearl Handles. Level Wine. Fantastic success. And I, I, I take the box, you know, and I open it up, and it was wrapped in tissue paper. And it came with, with a separate little cellophane bag with extra screws in it, you know, for the bearings. And it even came with a little tube of, of real grease, this stuff that you grease the, the, uh, uh, the bait casting. Uh, there, there's a little brass, or actually it's a bronze uh, bolt that runs through that the level wine thing runs on it, see? And you got to keep that oiled with this grease. And there it was, my reel. And just in time, I had about two days to go, see, so I rushed home with the reel, and I put it on my, my rod, which I had gotten for, for my birthday about two years before, and I put, put the line on it. I, had, I even got out and bought myself some, some uh, black silk, 10-pound uh, silk, woven silk, bait casting line, that beautiful black line, you know. So I puts it on this thing, and... Boy, it looked great, you know, and I, I got all my equipment together, and I, I uh, played around with the reel, and I took the back off, and I greased it and oiled it, and I read the book. Gave me a little book, you know, complete instructions on your reel. Complete instructions. And so I take the, take the reel, and I packed it carefully away in my tackle box. And so that, that, that weekend, when my old man got the vacation, we piled all in the car, put all the jazz in the car, and we drove up to Michigan with my tackle box, he had his own tackle box. You see, I had mine. Well, that afternoon, I went out for the first time with my bait casting rod, and I'm casting my, my homemade plugs. Well, I might point out that the big difference between my homemade plugs and the plugs that you got for $1.75, the real ones, was, well, one simple thing. My plugs would hit the water like a doorknob. They would hit the water like a doorknob dropped from a 10-story building. They would hit the water with a chalk. <laughs> they were really heavy, and, and uh, of course, being a kid, I, I you know I didn't I didn't really know the subtle differences between plugs. I just figured if it looked like a bassarino, it was like a bassarino. Well, you know, this thing would hit the water. A big mushroom-shaped cloud of water would fly. See, don't worry, I know it would fly up the air. So. Anyway, you know, I was in seventh heaven, man. I'm casting with my own reel, and all day long, when everybody else is hiding from the mosquitoes and the rain, I'm out there flailing with the water, you know. And I, I must have cast this these plugs 12,000 times. And, you know, you get pretty good at casting if you stick with it long enough. And I, I really did. I, I, I was just completely ape. You know, like, like many kids today know every last batting average of every met 
that ever played with the Mets and that they know every play of every game that the Mets have played at home at Shea. Well, I was that way about casting and fishing. I knew every, I had read every issue of Field and Stream uh, that, that I could lay my hands on. I mean, from backwards to forwards and from forwards to backwards, including all the ads, you know, for fish scalers and all that jazz. So I really knew. <laughs> and, and so on this last day, it was about second to the last day, I caught maybe one small perch on my uh, casting equipment. Uh, my old man never cast. He would just go out, you know, he would fish with worms. He would always catch a lot of fish with worms. But somehow, I was a purist already at 10, you know. So I'm out there just lashing the water to a foam and doing nothing. And then came that fantastic, a, a, a traumatic moment. It is now twilight. The rain is coming down. I got to get back to the cottage because it's supper time. And there are a few boats, maybe two or three hundred yards away from me, and I'm floating around amid a large collection of old uh, cut-off stumps and weeds. And I'm casting away, and you get to the point after you've been casting for two weeks and nothing's happening, you get almost automatic, you know? You don't really think anything about it. You're just casting out, casting out, casting out constantly. Well, I cast this big pink plug. This is about the second time I used it. The first time, it hit the water like a sash weight. And, uh, you know, I, I, but nothing's happening, so I take out this old pink plug, this great big long one, and I, I lay it out there. And it just goes out about 100 yards. This thing was so heavy, man, I could hardly stop it, you know, get the thing going once. And the uh, centrifugal force will carry it all the way to the shore, you know, from the middle of the lake. So I just lay it out there, and it went way out. And I can't even see where it hits because it's getting dark. I just hear this, it hits out there, you know, amid the lily pads. just goes, well, I start to reel it. I just got the first turn, just like that, when there's another splash. It goes, tremendous splash out by the plug, and wow, that reel goes, I am on to something. Well, I laid it, you know, I laid this, I, I, I just laid that, the butt of my reel in my, you know, the, the butt of my line, my rod, rather, in my, my, my gut, and I leaned back on that thing. And for the next 20 minutes, I, it was a fantastic struggle. I mean, really a struggle. And I figured I've got a gigantic bass. You know, this is a bass. It's a bass plug. It's a fantastic fight. And, of course, immediately all the boats around me, they see i got a fish. They're rolling over, you know, right away. They want to get in on it, you know. They start throwing their reels. You know, they start throwing plugs in all around me. You see, gee, i got a fish. Well, my kid brother is sitting at the end of the boat, and he's scared. You know, we're whining. Well, about 20 minutes later, it's just getting dark. Right to the edge of the boat, we get this fish. And he was mean. He is just, you can just see, under the boat he goes. I all back up. Under the boat he goes. I never saw anything like it. He goes, yeah, absolutely tireless, he would go. He'd go under the boat. That's right, I know, Jerry. Stop giving me cues. I know all about it. Under the boat he goes. Under the boat he goes, time again. And finally, I get him to the surface, and I holler at my kid brother, Randy, Randy, get that net. And we had, you know, I brought this, this, this net, you know, one of these landing nets. He reaches down, and the thing hits the landing net, knocks it about 20 feet in the air, and my kid brother, ah, the net. And down the net goes in the water. It's gone, man. Well, I, I, I yank back on it. He flops into the boat, and I never saw anything in my life like it. 
He was laying on the bottom of the boat. Boom, 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 the tail. He's got fantastic teeth. I never saw a fish in my life like this thing. He flops around, up and down, back and forth in the boat, flopping. He goes at my feet. I said, Randy, Randy, what is it? Plop, 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 plop. And I could see those eyes. Well, I just, everything flew up. In goes my rod. In goes my reel. In goes my plug. In goes the fish. And it is a fantastic, tremendous, golden dogfish. Have you ever seen a golden dogfish? One of the meanest fishes on the face of the earth. A golden dogfish. Mean eyes, teeth. Well, I sat in the boat with these fishermen all around with their tangled lines looking. I had never seen, uh, just once I had seen a picture of a golden dogfish. If you've ever seen a golden dogfish, you will remember it. He, he looks like a meaty ancient fish. He looks like a fish out of some past age. He's got tremendous teeth, enormous. He must have weighed nine, ten pounds. And by the way, golden dogfish in the state of Michigan are a bounty fish. If you catch one, you get a bounty on them because they kill so many other fish. They even kill ducks, little ducklings. Eat them up. Well, that golden dogfish went down to the bottom of the lake with my rod, with my south doing reel, with the pearl handers, level one, 200 yards of Garcia, 10-pound, rated, test, silk, casting line, the whole shebang. Well, we went rolling back, and I'm shaking. The old man sitting at the table there, you know, he's knocking down his beans, which is what we always ate on vacation. For some reason, other people eat beans on vacation. We're eating the beans. And he says, what the hell happened to you? Something fish, golden dogfish, took my reel. He says, well, you go fishing, sometimes the fish wins. <laughs> I never forgot the lesson, friends, and it is true. You go fishing, sometimes the horse wins. Don't forget. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Big Lester Smith and the News.